Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, Katie and I are going to be talking about how we plan to talk to our children about sex and how we've already talked to our children about sex. And this is actually going to include kind of a brief history on how our parents talk to us uh, about said subject. I don't know if I want to say the word again. (laughs) We are excited, though, to talk about this because I think we feel like we've got so much to learn and we don't want to run away from the scariness or the daunting aspect of this conversation. We want to really lean into it and embrace the role that we have in our children's life, especially in this area. So we hopefully we can encourage you to do the same with you and, and with your children. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. And if you're watching it on YouTube, we would love it if you subscribed to this channel and if you were able to like the video on YouTube as well. Let's get this thing rolling. The Now That We're a Family Podcast. Okay, so when Elisha brought up this idea this afternoon about this topic, I was I was excited about it because we have been talking about this quite a bit. As our children get older and more curious and you start hearing the average ages that kids get exposed to things or kids hear about things and you realize wow, that's like right now, (laughs) that is our six-year-old. And I think that as a parent, especially with something as crucial as, you know, God's sexual design, you want to be the first one in line to talk to them about this. Because I was just reading, you know, one of our favorite books, um, When Your Child is 6 to 12, and they were just saying the importance of when you are the first one to tell your child about something, then that shapes their perception of the truth. And then they compare everything else they hear to that truth that you shared with them first. So kind of whatever your child is exposed to first, they kind of see is the truth. And it's not that that can't be erased down the road, but it's kind of what they initially black and white think is the standard. And then they compare everything else to that standard. And so as parents, we want to be the first ones to share God's standard for sex and sexuality, and then let everything else be seen in that light rather than pick up a bunch of different ideas here or there and be comparing them to what? You know, like we live in a very sexually confused world and we don't want our children to be confused about something Um, that can be an incredible blessing in their lives. Yeah. It's so interesting how this is, like you said, it's been an ongoing conversation for you and I, and I mean, very recently too, this morning, last night, you and I stayed up way too late stressing out about how we're going to talk to our kids, you know, on the subject going forward. And I think that's a really good perspective to have, Katie, is that we want to be able to, we want to be the initiators of conversations, of these types of conversations in our home. And we want to put ourselves in a position to be the people, the first people our kids go to with questions, with, uh, you know, embarrassing thoughts, with uncomfortable thoughts, with, um, uh, you know, unfortunate situations they find themselves in. We want them, we want us to be the first person they think to go to. And I think even have that, having that mindset makes you realize, oh, this is a journey. Like this isn't a, this is, this is how we tell them about sex and then we're good. You know, this isn't yeah, like, no. okay, we put these filters on our computer or we don't let them have a smartphone and we're good. I really think this is like so many subjects, this is certainly one of those subjects and areas of life where it is an ongoing journey. And we want to journey with our kids through this. And I know that's what my dad did with me and I'm really grateful for that. And I know I've had that expectation as a father to do that with my sons, you know, and and my daughter or daughters, you know, if we have any more. And uh, I will say I'm a bit surprised with how soon that journey starting. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I think it's starting sooner with each generation. I mean, I kind of feel like it's about as young right now as it can be when it comes to comprehension and stuff like that. I don't know if you can get much younger with how early our children are exposed to things or explained things. I think oftentimes the peers and what peers are learning define how soon 
our children learn about things. And even though our, I would say most of our friends are delaying our, their children's education sexually somewhat compared to the public school system. The public school system still is setting the standard for there's a lot of kids running around that are very, very knowledgeable at a preschool kindergarten level. And so that, therefore, is the standard that we're dealing with, yep. um, is a lot of very knowledgeable children at a very young age and knowledgeable in a very confused way <laughs> where they don't really know what is right and what is wrong or what is God's design and what is a, uh, twisted version of that. They just know a lot of facts and, and, um, we need to be clear on, on which one of those are healthy and when, what of those are not healthy and going to kind of like our goal when it comes to sexual education of our children, Elisha and I were talking about this and I was like, did you ever feel shame in, you know, in sex, in married sex, because that's also something on a flip side of maybe a very overeducated culture as a whole, then some of our peers felt maybe very underprepared mm. for healthy marital sex, or maybe they felt shame around it uh, because of what they were taught or not taught. Mm. And we both felt very blessed to be like, no, we've never felt any shame sexually. Yeah. And like, what a gift that is. That's something that I want our children to have going into marriage to know this is a beautiful thing. This is God's design. This is a delight. This is a joy. This is intended for pleasure. And it's nothing to be ashamed of or scared of or thought of as this dirty thing. Um, it's, it's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. I, and our I parents, feel... our parents gave us that vision for sex. Exactly. That is a huge takeaway from both of our upbringing that, you know, I'd love to emulate that amongst other aspects of how I was educated on this topic. Um, I, you know, in my, from my perspective, I, it was introduced, sex was introduced to me very late in life, you know, where I was already starting to, you know, hear things, learn things, um, research things, you know, on my own before my dad initiated that conversation. And I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. I just think that's a common thing for parents. Like I just, you are, I think that I so have the potential to do the exact same thing with my son, even now as a six-year-old for me to be like, Oh, certainly I don't need to bring that up. And like you said, it just seems like each generation is blown away with how much their children know than, you know, what the next generation knows. And, uh, but I will say, regardless of that, maybe you might even call it a, a mistake, you know, of my dad introducing various concepts to me and bring, not being the one that initiate the conversation. Um, he was there to walk through everything with me in such a way so that when I entered into marriage and Katie and I both, um, you know, didn't have, we both got married as virgins. We didn't have like prior experience, but we weren't like blown away with this, like what, like I thought it was this, or I thought it was that. And like you said, it seems like yeah. I hear about a lot of bitterness from people that maybe are, are angry at the purity culture or angry at their more conservative upbringing. Uh, and then they go into marriage and they've got a twisted perspective or they've got a faulty perspective. And that's certainly not been our, our experience at all. No, obviously when, neither of you have had any experience sexually. It's funny and it's awkward and there's embarrassing <laughs> moments and it's stuff that we look back on and laugh at now. Mm -hmm. But to me, it was only a beautiful thing of being able to figure that out together. Yeah. And I think we both went into marriage with this concept of sex is awesome. It's a learned skill. You've got to get good at it. We have a lifetime to learn each other and to make this an awesome experience. So if we start off and everything's a little funny and uncomfortable and embarrassing, that's okay. Like yeah. that's, that's being married to someone for the first time. Yeah. That was expected. Like that was definitely yeah. expected. So we have those expectations, which I think were healthy, but we also had these, um, expectations and perspectives that, sex within a marriage is something that is worth working towards having a very active, healthy, yes. joyous sex life. Yes. And it's not something to fade once you get married or, you know, that kind of like gets lame. It's something to, that can continually get more and more and more enjoyable yes. as you learn your, you know, lifelong partner, like 
how cool is that? You could really become experts of each other. Yeah. And, and I think both of our parents gave us that vision without... Yeah. I didn't get it from anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there might be, you know, there might've been Christian voices that I would hear speak highly of it, but of course, you know, secular media is, media is going to have a distorted perspective on it and they're going to communicate a distorted, um, most, mostly sinful perspective on, on sex. And then much of even Chris, the Christian culture had a very like depressing view on it, I think. Uh, yeah. and so I do think that our parents both did a really good job of without being, um, yeah, overly descriptive, just mm -hmm. talking about the subject loosely in a positive light. Yes. And so, and then also giving us the expectation that like, it's, it's going to be a learning curve. Like, yeah. like, the, and I think they both, both of our parents told us that. And so we went in being like, okay, this is an awesome thing to pursue. Just like you got to figure out how to do so many things in life together when you're newlywed, do a budget together and, you know, raise kids together. It's like, we've, we, this is worth investing time and energy into, into getting better at. Yeah. Something that I think that the world is so focused on is mechanics and they've really reduced sex to mechanics. This is how you do X, Y, and Z. This is how you do it this way, whatever. And it's interesting because I was also reading another book last night that spawned our conversation about this whole sexual thing. And it's a great book. Um, it's uh, it's by Jody Maccabee. I'd love to have her on the podcast about the, uh, what is it called? Like the whole and healthy family or something. Mm. It's really good. But she had a, an excellent chapter in there that spawned a lot of discussion for us about pornography and how to talk to our kids about pornography um, and about sex. Obviously that was in there too. And she brought up this concept of at what age she introduced kind of the mechanics of sex to her children. And it just made me remember like when I was younger, I didn't know the mechanics of, of sex until I think I was 12 when my dad sat me down and mm -hmm. my mom and they're there together and explained in a, as much as I needed to know at the time, cause I wasn't going to go out and do it. Um, how sex happened. Mm -hmm. And, but that wasn't like what I refer to as my sexual education. Hmm. Like the mechanics are such a small part of sex and yeah, they're important. But at the end of the day, like my dad grabbing my mom from behind or kissing her or, you know, reading in Genesis and being like, they were naked and unashamed and it was good. It was very good. You know, just like adding huh. this little comments here and there, like, I knew my parents, they liked each other. I knew they liked sex. I didn't know what it all entailed, but I knew it was fun and awesome in marriage. And then, and I got that by like how my parents had this fun, playful relationship and loved each other and, and showed that love to us in healthy physical ways, um, like making out and grabbing each other and stuff like that. And then also knowing that they liked having getaways and they yep. liked, um, being behind closed doors. And, and I think that, um, there's so much more to sex than just the mechanics yeah, that our children need to know. Yeah. There's so much more to the sexual education than just like yeah. you said, teaching the mechanics, because if anything, it's oftentimes the subliminal messages that actually have the most impact in your life. Like yes. the things way the, more is like caught than taught in this. Yeah, exactly. And, and when you look at popular narrative around sex, it, I know growing up like in movies and books and articles and stories that you would hear, even again, from Christian people, there would be like the, the, you know, the height of romance and in sex, it's like, it was just this declining thing starting from the day of marriage, right? Like even in, in a more like from a secular narrative, it'd be like the sex in the passion leading up to marriage was just this whirlwind of emotion and, and ecstasy and just so much fun. And then the marriage starts and that's always kind of like the end of the good times. Yeah. Like right? you want the movie to turn off after they get married. It's like, Oh, happily ever after like yeah, moving yeah, on. Yeah, like yeah, you aren't yeah. even that interested in their love life afterwards. Cause you just know, it's not going to be that great. Yeah. So that's, isn't that nuts that that's the perspective 
that Hollywood would portray yeah. is that right there. Like I said, this obviously has drifted into Christian narrative as well. And our parents showed us a far different narrative, which yes. I think is powerful. And that's so, it's so powerful that we've got the opportunity to give that perspective to our children and, and to also understand that we're going to be combating another narrative. We're going to be mm-hmm. get, combating a far more sinful, like you said, distorted uh, narrative and perspective on sex and sexual sexuality. So just explaining the mechanics, yeah, that's needs to be done at some point, you know, with your children, but you are going to be exemplifying and telling your ch- children about sex by your attitude around it, you know, and your, and the small, like you said, the small comments made here yeah. and there, the flirtatious remarks made, t- you know, towards one another. Um, and I think that that's a really good insight, Katie, because with so many things, we want to check boxes. Like we just want to say, okay, we, we covered this, this, and this, you know, we had the pornography talk, we had the homosexuality talk, we had the, all these talks about the things they're going to, they might encounter. And so we're good to go. When in reality, they're probably going, what's going to have the strongest and most long lasting impact in their life is what they're witnessing between you and I. Yeah. I mean, if they're seeing their parents that don't seem to like each other or have fun or flirt, like why would they think that's something to look forward to in marriage? Like, I think that honestly watching my parents and wanting a marriage that was fun and spunky and spicy, like their marriage was that I could even tell from the outside took away that scarcity mindset when it came to my teen years Mm. and thinking like, well, this is like when the getting's good. You know what I mean? Like this is when my emotions are high, my hormones are high, the romance is high. And like, I just need to have sex now. Like despite how healthy it is or what God says about it or all these things, I really felt like healthy sex in marriage was worth waiting for. And, And I wasn't... Yeah, I don't know. It was worth building and crafting and creating in marriage. Sometimes I hear, too, from people who are burnt out from, you know, people reference purity culture, and maybe they thought it was just going to all fall into place in marriage. And that's not something that I feel like I was told either. It was like anything worth having is worth working towards. Mm. And so it's worth working towards with your lifelong partner. It doesn't mean that um, it's just going to be all easy right off the bat and this fabulous, this fabulous experience, like maybe Hollywood said it would be or something like that, but it doesn't mean that you can't make it glorious. Yes. And so anyways, I really think though that when you picture, okay, I have a whole life to have incredible sex and to work towards that. You aren't as, um, nervous about not getting it right now. Yeah. You said that scare you said the scarcity attitude. I think that's a good word for it. You don't have the scarcity mindset in your teen years and in your young adult years when you're not married. Um, and, uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, maybe it'll come back to me. Who knows? Maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. Yeah. Okay. So I just kind of want to go through, I guess I wrote down stages of when my parents talked to me when I felt like kind of like how they educated me sexually Mm -hmm. and I'm a generation behind our children. So we need to be like more on top of it with our children, like younger. I feel like my parents pretty much hit the nail on the head with every developmental thing with me. I didn't feel very left in the dark except for Except I was 19. I was writing a college speech and I went in to have a proctored speech where someone's going to sit there and listen to me give the speech. And the speech that I got on the paper was on whether condoms should be handed out to kids in grade school or not. Yeah. And I told the lady, I was like, okay, I am guessing by the context what a condom is, but I actually don't know. And so I don't feel comfortable giving a speech on this subject matter because I don't feel like I'm familiar enough with it. And she was just so embarrassed for me and like mortified. And I went home to my mom and I was like, okay, hello, I am 19. Why am I in this experience? experience? Yeah. You were one of 11 kids. So clearly condoms, maybe they didn't know about them either. (laughs) I was one of 10 kids and I don't think I, yeah, I mean, I I think I knew about them a little younger than that, but (laughs) that's, that's something though, before you move on, like I can objectively say I was 
and am naive and ignorant on so many things regarding sex. Yes. Like that was just a, that was, it's a fact. It was a fact then. And like I said, it's probably a fact now. Like I I still, I still like hear jokes or, you know, um, euphemisms. I'm like, boy, don't know. Like, and I'm, I'm, that's not a bad thing. I don't think. Like, no, we the, aren't it, supposed to know about every weird, yeah. strange thing out there. We're supposed to know what is what is God's design for sex and what applies to that. And we we don't need to know about every twisted variation of yes. that. Yeah. And so, like, were there a few times, and I'm really just a few times, where you know I was made fun of in the locker room because I didn't know an express what an expression meant or what something was that they were talking about. Like, yeah, that happened, but it, I never was like angry at my parents or like, I don't, there was this clear worldview that I had that was like, okay, w- you know, you go back to being Christians. We're a peculiar people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are set apart. Now knowledge in certain areas doesn't then make you not set apart, but yeah. it, but I do want my children to have a level of naivety and ignorance regarding the various, you know, gross customs of the world. You know, like I don't want them to be fully aware and educated. Like, do I want them to have a healthy fear and knowledge? Yeah, but just like men are inventors of really evil, twisted things. And I can't, I can't keep up with them. Like, and I don't, I don't want to try to have my kids keep up with them either. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about our online music academy called VoteBergMusicAcademy.com. Katie and I actually started this online music academy seven years ago, and over that time we've been able to see thousands of students go through our courses and learn how to play the guitar, the mandolin, the fiddle, the piano, the ukulele, and bring music into their home. And we really curated these lessons so that you're able to learn with your child or you're able to learn by yourself and then bring music into your home and play with your kiddos. We even have it so that you can, you know, subscribe to one course and have three of your kids take the same course. So it's really cost effective and you're able to go at your own pace and bring music into your home. Go to VoperMusicAcademy.com and check this out. Okay, listen up. This is where it gets really good. If you enter the coupon code YouTube at checkout, you will get 10% off each month's payment because it's a subscription. It's a reoccurring payment. So if you put that code in, then it's 10% off each month. So, I mean, that can really add up over time. So bring some music into your family's home. Go over to VoperMusicAcademy.com. I'll link it below. And you guys put in that coupon code and go learn how to play some piano, guitar, fiddle, mandolin, ukulele, your choice. Or have that be a goal. And you mentioned too, um, again, a perspective around all of this matters so much because you you mentioned, you know, not knowing what things meant in a locker room. And Elisha and I both played public school sports despite being homeschooled. And that would happen all the time where I had no clue what the girls were talking about. But to me, it really was like, in my mind, I'm not thinking like, oh, I wish I knew that. And then I could be in the conversation. To me, it was very clear. This doesn't apply to me. They're Mm -hmm. all sexually active. They're all experiencing this. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm saving that aspect of my life for later in my life. So this doesn't apply to me right now in my stage of life. And it's not helpful for me. And so it wasn't wasn't something I was bummed out that I didn't know about. I was just like, this isn't my stage of life. And um, I don't know. Maybe that's a little black and white. But it wasn't hard for me to feel like I was left out. I was left out of a lot of conversations yes. in high school and it, they just didn't apply to me. Like I also wasn't doing drugs in high school. I also wasn't drinking in high school. You know, there are a lot of things. I mean, not, or, not much these, these days either. Not much these yeah. days, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like there's just certain things that don't apply to you. Yes. And that's okay to be left out. And honestly, that's like you said, with a, as a Christian, that's a very healthy thing that should happen throughout all our adult lives too. There's things that shock me all the time that I hear. Yeah. Like that's a thing. You know? Yeah. And I'm with you. I think that the only reason that wasn't a huge hindrance is, um, the whole peer pressure thing or fitting in or not fitting in or being made fun of, uh, like, like you said, you, you had already had a vision for sex at that point. You're like, like, I know what the, like, I don't know what they're talking about because I don't need to know. Like that's go- mm-hmm. I will learn about all those things when the time's right for me mm-hmm. and when it's fitting for me to learn those things. And so I think I had that same perspective of um, 
like not feeling left out or not feeling um, embarrassed. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know how that, cause I'm, I, I'm sure it, it was probably different for every, it's different for every kid, but it just, I think it just, you want your kids to have a holistic worldview and you want it to be centered in Christ and as a Christian first and foremost. And so when they do not know things or when they're on the outskirts, that, that needs to be a muscle that's flexed early and often mm -hmm. because we're, we're told, I mean, you go back again to, you know, the children of Israel, they were clearly a set apart people mm -hmm. and their customs were different. Their, their routines, their habits were different. You know, their diet was different. And now as, as Christians, you know, like it, the same goes for us. Like we're the same language is used for the church. I already said the peculiar people, a Royal priesthood, a holy nation, like we are a different people. We are a unique people, a peculiar people. And so it's going to, it's, we're, you're going to see that in things like your sexual education. You're going to see that obviously in your sexual activity and behavior as well. Yeah. And I think too, like this isn't the first time that Christians have had a different sexual ethic. I don't even know what like mm -hmm. the appropriate word is for than everyone else. Yeah. Like that is the standard. Like you go to other countries and they have like child brothels or the temple worship involves like the temple prostitute girls mm -hmm. or like there's been so many things and are so many things and will continue to be so many things that are outside God's design for sex. And those are always going to be a thing. So like, I don't think we need to be shocked at, as parents that those yes. are the norm now in our generation and our culture, those have always been the norm in generations and cultures where God is not king of the Lord. God is not Lord of those people's lives mm -hmm. and therefore their lives look different and our children's lives will look different. And I think of, you know, something that does help just in a practical way. One, being a teen with a strong um, walk with the Lord. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is <laughs> that is number one. Because at the end of the day, it wasn't my parents, it wasn't my siblings, it wasn't what other people thought of me on one side or another that was affecting my decision-making at that point in time. It was truly God. Yeah. It, I and mean, my fear of Him. That has to be it because you can only... You can only keep your kids within the boundaries and within the guidelines for so long, and maybe they aren't sexually active with other people, but they're in the but they're finding pornography or they've got weird, distorted thoughts. Like you've got to be able to disciple them in beyond just this area of sexuality, their overall character, their heart for their Lord, their faith. Like yeah, it's all tied together. It's yes. not one area, and so I think that. But something else that just like on a practical note was really helpful was both of us had a lot of friends that were, that were Christians and that believed the same thing. And so that was really helpful when you had peers that were maybe pressuring you another way, you had a peer group that was also supporting you in that. Yeah. And so that's really helpful, um, through those, through those oh, harder yes. years of making those, those decisions. Actually. Yeah. That's actually so good for me to remember because like I, I, and I'm sure a lot of people experience this when you become a parent and an adult is like, you forget what peer pressure feels like. And you forget how significant of a role that plays in your decision-making when you're a teenager and when you're in adolescence, because it's like now, you know, what are we 32? And it's like, I just care what you think. And like, I, you know, I know what I believe. And if people think I'm dumb for not partaking in something, like it just, it, it rolls off my shoulders so much quicker and easier. And also your peer group is so much bigger. Like, you know what I mean? Like we could yes. pick the friends at our church or the, yes, exactly. You know, like as adults, you have like this huge peer group to be like, Oh, we're like-minded. Let's be exactly. So if, exactly. So if somebody does poke fun at me, it's like, okay, I probably just not really going to hang out with you anymore. You know, yeah, like, like, I've got other options, buddy, you know, <laughs> and I can go, you, like you said, have fellowship with like-minded believers, but it is crazy how easily, how quickly I've, I've forgotten like being 10 and 12 and 14 and 15 years old and, and hearing people tease you or make fun of you or think something's cool and really that playing a huge role in your decision-making. Yeah. Like, and, and I need to remember that with my children, like our children are so not, you know, going to be above the anything. effects of peer. <laughs> yeah. Anything. But yeah, like when I, what I'm talking about is they're not going to be above the effects of peer pressure. And so being ultra aware of who their peers are and having those open lines of communication, it just starts now, even just like Leon caring how he looks.
like depending on who's going to be at like a Bible study, you know? Yeah, our, like, our three-year-old yeah. has been, he told me today, he got out his pants that were his cool pants because mm. they had a rip in them. I'm like, where, where did you yes. decide that pants that are ripping them were cool? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just funny. Yes. And something see. else that you and I were talking about last night is that I think it's like you, our kids, we, we love our kids. We're going to disciple them. But f- the Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Mm-hmm. And that just goes, I think you can say that's just children in general. Like our, our children are not exempt from that rule. And so therefore, it's not just going to be outside influences and peers that can bring bad thoughts, ideas, actions into our home. Like they are, you know, people have talked about our, the human heart being an idol factory where it's like they have the capability in and of themselves to pursue these things and to want to seek these things out. And I think I, for the longest time, I thought my children were exempt and we just need to protect them from outside influences, but it's like, no, we also need to protect our children from themselves and from their sinful nature and teach them the gospel and teach them about the victory that is in Christ and about the, you know, inclinations of their heart, not always and very rarely being something to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Your feelings and your emotions and your heart are worth squat when it comes to what the right thing to do is in the moment. And that's not what they're going to hear from from the mainstream. Yes. So I think like just with baby steps, okay, I'm going to go over my history. Okay. Cause we're kind of doing this a little bit with our kids. Okay. Like the first thing we addressed with our children, which was the first thing that I remember my parents talking to me about was basically protecting yourself hmm. and protecting your own private parts and from molestation. And that's just such a huge thing. And like, praise the Lord. Like I never had to experience that, but that's a majority of kids these days, Mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy. And so something that my dad was really good about was sitting us all down. And again, my mom was always there. My dad always was the, the, I say my dad though, because he was always the one that communicated these things. My mom was there for like emotional support, but she got a little more like flustered about these topics. And daddy just was the one who could kind of treat them more like scientific and realities of of life. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So he would sit us down before big family reunions before church events, like church camps, um, before Christian, like any, any Christian group. And it always like annoyed me by the time I was like 10 or 11 years old. I was like, this is like my family. Like, why are you going to sit us down now and say, Hey, if anyone comes up to you, even if it's your uncle or your aunt, and they ask you to pull your pants down, you know, what do you say? You say no. And you leave the situation and you immediately come to daddy and mama. And what if they say, you know, they're going to hurt you or they're going to hurt your parents. What do you do? You do the same thing. It doesn't matter. And, um, but like now that I'm an adult and you know, all the statistics on who's the most likely to harm your children, it's the people you trust Mm -hmm. and it's the environments you trust. And so those are the times to prepare our kids Mm -hmm. for these things. And especially I think it's the easiest for people to hide out in those kinds of environments. Like you're going to be like on major guard if you're at the fair or something, you know, for like a kidnapper or whatever, but you aren't when your kids just, you know, off in another room with a relative or you're at a church function. Like church functions are great places for weird people to hang out because everyone's kind of all under this blanket of, God and holiness, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And your kids are comfortable. They're running to the bathroom maybe without telling you. I mean, that's something that we've like really made a rule with with our kids. Like, man, do not go to the bathroom by yourself. You know, like we want to be able to go with you. And and yet that can happen. So we learned that from them doing it a handful of times by themselves. Just kind of like, where were you? I went to the bathroom, like by yourself. Yeah. And you're kind of like, and then you're like, okay, was anybody else in the bathroom with you? You know, and you're trying to get the, the whole debrief. And uh, yeah, kids are comfortable in those situations and then adults can hide. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's like- So you, things can happen peer to peer in those environments or adult to child in those yes. environments. And you just want to prepare your kid like, so if they come into that situation, they, aren't think, they don't know like 
is this normal? Because yeah. children are trying to figure out all the time, like what's normal, what's not. And when it's someone oh. that they trust or in an environment they trust, they're going to think like, well, maybe I just haven't experienced this, but this is a normal thing. Yes. Because they're learning new things every single day. Yeah. They're learning about life. And so they're, I mean, that's the classic, like vulnerable, like they just, they are vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's something from like two, three years old, as soon as they can communicate and be out of your sight for a few minutes. Um, something that we've talked to our kids about and something that we'll continue talking to our kids about is just, and then also having an open door policy at our home and at other friends' home, because our kids, again, are not above the whole, just like little kid exploration (laughs) and curiosity of the other sex or same sex or whatever. Everything's all new and exciting. And so we just keep bedroom doors open when friends are over. And when we're over at friends, bedroom doors are open. And that's just something that's really important for us at this young stage. Uh, That's the earliest I remember my parents kind of talking about sexuality was kind of what could go wrong and they didn't go into detail on what could happen to me. It was just, if any part of your body is showing that isn't currently showing now with someone else, you need to get out of the situation and come tell daddy and mama what happened. Um, and then I think the second thing I remember was being talked to about pornography. And if you guys know my dad's testimony and experience with pornography, then this was something that was brought up in our home a lot. Um, if not, that's linked down below. Elisha did an episode with him on kind of his journey to finding freedom from that. Um, but that was something that he really wanted to protect us from and knew because of his experience, um, just how easy that can be to access. And that's something that we, we're just having a conversation last night, how we haven't talked to our kids about that. And we feel like we need to have that conversation right now. Yeah, exactly. That's one that I don't want to wait another day. I mean, we'll probably talk tonight about it, you know, like when I'm laying the boys down or something. And again, I'm new to this, so I don't know how these conversations are going to go, but I do know I want to present it in a way where they're not like, boy, I hope we never have to talk about that again. Yeah. Uh, and they just kind of like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever, dad. Okay. And then they, they're they like, the last thing we're going to, last guy we're going to tell if we ever see anything is that guy. Um, and so I want to present it in a way that's, you know, there's dialogue. It's, it's lighthearted, not in a flippant way, but just in a matter of fact way, just kind of like, yeah. hey, this is going to happen. And I remember it was encouraging for me, even as a young girl, to have my dad explain, like, like, obviously I wasn't a boy. And I also, I know that pornography can be a big struggle for women as well. That was not something that I personally struggled with. So I couldn't really like, um, relate to that Mm -hmm. specific struggle, but, um, I could understand, I could appreciate that when daddy presented it and my parents did this together again, it was this this is a, it's a natural thing for a healthy male to desire a woman's body. Yeah. And I felt comfort in that as a younger girl, not feeling like, okay, this is a perversion from what God has designed, but the drive that's there is stemming from a design that God has designed. And so it didn't, I guess, gross me out or weird me out to think that my brother or my dad or my husband might be attracted to some other woman's naked form Mm -hmm. or half clothed form or whatever it is. And it's brought me comfort as a wife to know, you know what? Like if, if our husbands have these fights with lust this way, that is a, that's stemming from something that is a healthy design. It's just a perversion of it. Yeah. It's just a twisted version of it. It's, it's, it's a natural fight, I guess, to have. Yes. And, and that brought me comfort as a girl, not like it's this dirty, disgusting thing that like only creepos would, you know, like want to see or, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's got to be a big part of the conversation with the boys is yeah. it's not. Yeah. I mean, again, this is all just so real time because I don't want to downplay it, meaning yeah. like, oh yeah, everybody and have this flippant attitude of like, yeah, everybody does it. Like you're going to do it, you know, but, uh, you know, repent, move on. Like I want there to be the sobriety around sin and how like really can you know, take a can get a hook in your life and drag you down to hell. You know, like read the proverbs that are sobering. Like those do sober you up regarding the adulterous woman. Proverbs five and seven. Yeah. And and of course that is yeah. clear you you could you witness that on a regular basis every day in this life. Like you witness the the truth and the profundity of 
those proverbs every day. And so it's not like you just have to go point to these, you know, te- verses in the Bible. It's like, yeah, you know how they talk about it there. Well, let's go ahead and look at all these examples here, you know, today that where this mm-hmm. is happening. Um, so yeah, finding a way. And again, I don't know how this is going to, but you feel like, I guess I just want to say, ahead. you feel like your dad did a good job of this. Yeah, I think he did. Right? I think he did where, because, and this is kind of, I think the difference probably, you know, and maybe, maybe it's my style or your style or might be a man and a woman's difference is like Mm -hmm. my expectation for my boys is to start this conversation and to not end this conversation. Mm -hmm. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Like I'm not necessarily looking at all these check boxes or these boxes to check. I'm kind of saying, I'm just saying as we had, I was like my first exposure to certain things. Yeah. And I think it's good to to think of those things. And I think it's, and it's good to remember your experience and to try to put yourself back in those you know, put yourself back in your shoes at that age. Um, but my expectation is to start the conversation and, and for it to not end, you know, it's for it to go on and on and on because their bodies are going to change. Their minds are going to change. What they're exposed to is going to change. And I, I want to be as proactive on what they're exposed to as I can be, but I also want to know I'm not going to be able to know everything they're exposed to. Does that make sense? So it's mm-hmm. like, I want to be vigilant. I want to be the watchdog of my home. I want to you know, have computers out in the open places. I want to keep them away from smartphones. I, I want to, you know, guard their eyes when, when we can, but my parents did that to me and I still saw the stuff like, like mm-hmm. we had a very protected home mm-hmm. and it was, a and, and it was with like a, a fraction, <laughs> a fraction of the technology that we have access to now. Does that yes, make sense? Yes. And I had, I was a sheltered kid and you, st- I still saw this, I still saw stuff and Um, not just like as a victim, like I was able to go seek stuff out. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's Mm -hmm. always easy to be like, oh man, like you're a victim and you came across it. It's like, no, I'm fully expecting my boys to, you know, from a sinful desire to go seek this stuff out. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like not, I mean, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't expect that, but like, I just, I am like, I, I was brought up in a great Christian home. And I came to places where it's like, I want to see this, you know, I mm-hmm. want to look at that and I, and I, I want to, and so I would seek it out. And so I don't want to be blown away when that's the reality in our home. Mm-hmm. And I do want to set up guardrails and have it. Cause obviously it's one thing to see it once or twice or to be exposed to it. But if they get deep down a, you know, a, th- a thread of, of addiction and that's mm-hmm. way harder to work yourself back from. And, and of course there's freedom from all of that. And like the Lord can free anybody yeah. from but anything. It really affects your relationships. But I'd rather have the conversation often and frequently like my dad did, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, where it wouldn't go, you know, years with, you know, and down this rabbit trail of habit of habitual sin. Like he gave can me the opportunity sh- regularly to confess and to, you know, come clean and be like, Oh my goodness. Yes. Could you touch on the difference of kind of like your physical sin at times? And then like pornography and how your dad treated those things different. As far as like masturbation yeah. and then <laughs> no, like looking at things. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was insightful to me mm. again. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, again, it's hard retrospectively to remember how this all worked out, but Clearly the sexual drive, you know, especially when you're an adolescent is just, it's, it's, that's a healthy part of development. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's not that my dad ever excused it, but Mm -hmm. he also explained what that was. Does that make sense? Like he explained Mm -hmm. the natural expression or the health, the holy and healthy expression of that and what that was for. And then what the unhealthy expression of that was for. And, um, Again, you know, it's one, you know, so it's like, okay, you've got a 13 or a 14 year old struggling with this and you're like, well, yeah, you know, just got to get married. It's like, well, come on, you know, I'm 13. How am I going to, you know, get married? And so it wasn't like he was saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he taught self-control. He taught freedom from sin mm-hmm. and he taught, you know, bringing it to the Lord, confessing, confessing your sin, that. confessing your sin, you know, not, not living with the weight of your sin, this guilty conscience. Cause I mean, it is, it just weighs heavy on you. And then eventually that becomes a seared conscience, mm-hmm. which is a dangerous place to get to. Because you have to numb it in order to just keep moving on. Yeah, exactly. And then you're not as sensitive. Exactly. So, um, I guess there was in, that. in general, and so then... in general, he, um, yeah, I would confess, you know, masturbation mm-hmm. and he would treat that matter of factly kind of explain. It's like, okay, yeah, we'll repent. But then on the flip side, he like, he was like 
hardcore about the dangers of pornography. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, like, this is not okay. Like, 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 do not mess with that. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like this stuff, and that's where he brought me to the verses. Like, this will destroy your soul. And again, I don't know if that's, I'm not, I'm not saying that's the best way to do it. I'm just saying that's the way my dad did it with me, where there was this distinction of like, yeah, you should, you should repent about uh, masturbation and, mm-hmm. and that, but then also know that like there is a healthy, you know, outlet, outlet for that. For that. Whereas sin, like sin is never satisfied. There's not a healthy expression of sin. And pornography, can you could get addicted. It's got this, there's a chemical thing happening, you know, that is is really dangerous. And, and so he was, he gave me a healthy fear mm-hmm. of pornography. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Not to the point where it's like, I never want to talk to my dad about this because he freaks out. But it was just this sober, like, like listen to me. Do whatever you can to not... Yeah, like, Go there. This is how strong men are destroyed. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear. It's like, this is what brings men of God, men of character. This destroys them, destroys their life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. So anyways, I thought that was an interesting distinction when you told me, obviously not having been like a boy and we've got three boys. No. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like Elisha's experience in his relationship, his ability to be able to communicate with his dad and all those things really has been helpful for me. And honestly, just Elisha and I having these conversations over the years have been very helpful in me knowing as a woman more, a little bit more like one guy's experience of what to expect when our boys go through adolescence. Um, And obviously our daughter's going to go through adolescence, but I experienced that to a point. So that's not as scary to me. Like our boys really kind of freak me out. And it's gotten less and less that way, the more Elisha and I have communicated. And the more I've been like, what, like that was your experience or that was the age where that happened. Or, you know, I was able to kind of be shocked a little bit with my husband instead of having it be my sons. So I feel like I'm in a lot healthier place to when my boys are going through these things to be able to be level-headed and non-emotional and kind of know like, okay, this comes with the territory instead of like, what is going on? You know, I and do it's going to be different for different kids. I'm not saying that, but like, hmm. you know, like I've had like, it's been hard for me to hear some of the stuff sometimes that you've like shared with me about your growing up experience. Like Cause it just seems, again, you're so far away from marriage when you're 11, 12, 13 years old. And so I think the bigger picture too, when it comes to sexual sin is that sexual sin doesn't, or sexual temptation, that doesn't go away when you're married. Like the Lord gave this beautiful outlet for a couple to be unified and to enjoy this, but self-control and putting boundaries in place for yourself and, um, just different brain pathways that are there. And all those things are still there when you're married. Right. Yeah, You know what I mean? hundred percent. You know, it's, we've talked about this a handful of times. I, I think it is incumbent upon husbands and fathers to lead out in this conversation. Yeah. And, you know, even you referencing this woman and their book, it's just so funny how my brain just, it's like, okay, like I'm sure it's a great book and I'm sure she's awesome, but I do not want our sons to hear stuff from you, I think it's it's my responsibility, and yes. I think that men can relate with men. And I don't know how many times in small group environments, women's women, you know, make a fool of themselves by speaking up and explaining their husband's battle with lust or anything, thinking they understand it and they know how this all works. And all the men are just kind of sitting there thinking, like, what are you talking about? It, women just don't see it the same way men do, and they don't experience it the same way men do. And so, as a result men need to have the conversation with their sons. I think men don't because they're living in shame. They're living in guilt and they're not walking in freedom. So they're kind of like, well, just like, sure, I'll let her take care of it. And it's another area that we've, you know, abdicated the responsibility and we've been passive and women as the problem solvers or problem solvers are like, oh, it's great. I read a book about this. You know, if we, if, if they, if we tell them about pornography then, and then they see this and it's going to like, they're going to be great. And men know that's, it's this ongoing journey and they've got to be the ones for, as the forerunners in their home. I, 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 that's how I see it. Like, I do not see it being effective or healthy. I see it undermining the man's authority and his confidence when the woman leads out in these conversations. Um, and so, again, it is a shame that men don't lead out in these conversations. 
It is. And I think it's because I know what this has been the experience in my life. When you're living in guilt and you've got hidden sin and you're not walking free in this area of life, you're thinking, who am I to talk, talk on this? You know, who am I to talk to my sons or to lead out in our home? But it's like, man, that's your responsibility. You know, find, repent first and foremost for yourself, find freedom in the Lord, you know, come clean of your sin and then lead out in your home and lead out in these conversations because it's, it's in a, it's unfitting and it's inappropriate for the women to be leading out in these conversations. Go Lysha. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm glad you're the dad of our boys. (laughs) That's encouraging. And I do feel that way. I don't feel any pressure or any responsibility to have these conversations with our sons. Even last night, um, me bringing my thoughts to you, that's kind of how I see this going. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Being, being like, I read this. I feel like we need to talk to our sons about pornography. What do you think about that? You know? And you were like, yeah, you're right. I think that they're younger than what I would have assumed we would have this conversation, but I think it's time to have the conversation. And I do see that being super, super healthy. Yes. Well, I do want to say, I don't think that the women need to be excluded from the conversation. You and I want, you, I want there to be an open mind with you and me. And you, I'm gone a lot of days. I want you to come to me and be and say, Hey, you know, I heard Leon say so and this to so-and-so I think the kids mentioned this or whatever. I want that to be something where we're on the same page with. I'm not saying like, I know I'm not excluded from it. We don't have this like line down the center of our home and it's Elisha and the boys. And then I've got Lucy, like it's Elisha and I, and then our kids, but he's the one that's going to do the communication. I want to be out there having the conversations, having the talks with my boys and with my daughters for that matter. Yeah. Um, And I I loved, honestly, it gave me a lot of security that my dad was there in those conversations about, you know, like my period and all these things, my hormones changing. Like it gave me, I think this healthy view of this father figure or masculinity in general, where I didn't feel awkward or uncomfortable when it came to my husband mm-hmm. getting to know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> me as a, as a woman, I just, I felt safe and protected and cared for. And I think that that's, that's something that very few girls can relate with too, is feeling like they have that genuine protection and care coming from their father. And that does translate when it comes to a marriage, yeah. you're able to feel that, um, be more vulnerable and open and feel like you're going to be protected and cared for and not have to have all these walls up because of, of something of what happened growing up. Yeah. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And I feel like Lucy already feels that way with you and we want to keep that going as she gets older. Yes, definitely. Exactly. And I want to be the haven of security and of safety and of, you know, confiding, you know, yeah. and I know you do too. I, again, I, well, okay. I, again, I don't want so there to be the this. Deal. Like you're saying, Elisha and I need to have this open conversation, but because I am the mom and I am in the home, I am like, I have stumbled upon things that relatives close to me have watched. And I've been the first, oh my goodness, this is on the computer history on so-and-so's computer. And I need to go tell someone about this. And so I know that there's like a good chance that um, our kids' exposure to things will potentially come through me first. Yes. And so that's what I'm saying when I was referring to, you know, your experience with pornography or your experience with masturbation or something like that. Like, I think it's healthy for the mom to still be aware of ages of things or what her boys might go through or the physical things that they might go through and not be grossed out by it. But be able to be matter of fact about it yeah, and a way that they communicate with their husband and in the way that it helps you. I think, I think it will help how I view my adolescent sense, yes. you know, instead of being like, wow, this is a lot for me being like, okay, you know what? This is okay. Because obviously Elisha is going to communicate with me where they're at too. Yes. Like we're on the same page with raising our boys. Yeah. You know? We're on the same team. We are a team on this unit. I just don't want, I, I think in general, but I'm not going to be having conversations with them about their it's, not that, it's not that you're not allowed to have conversations. I just want to be the one leading out yeah. and taking responsibility in this area of our home and discipleship. Um, just like I want to take responsibility in like all aspects of, you know, discipleship. The man does own the responsibility, but then, you know, obviously the, the wife and the woman works, we're co-laborers, you know, in, in the same, with the same desired outcome. Um, I just think for my, for my like tiny little 
you know, glimpse into other people's lives, it seems like women feel so comfortable explaining how everything's going to work, yes. you know, and being like, well, yeah, it was a problem, but then we got this, this, and this, and now everything's all good. And just like, I, I don't know, as the man, you know, and I think all of them just kind of like, well, you like literally have no clue what you're talking about, you know? <laughs> and so I, I yeah. want that because, and, and I, and again, I think men abdicate because they're living in sin probably. That's a hundred percent how it's been for me. Yeah. I mean, it's like if a man tries to explain a woman's cycle or her hormones, a woman's not going to take that super well. Like, well, like you're an expert, you know what I mean? Like there's certain parts of our body makeup where they can know a lot of things scientifically or on paper, but at the end of the day, it's not the same thing as having gone through it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is that kind of like how you would say it? Yeah. (laughs) here I go trying to explain something that I probably have no idea. No, it's not like it's that trivial and profound. I just think, you know what I, you know what I think. I do. I think the men and the husbands and the fathers should lead out in this conversation and it should be, Mm -hmm. it should be earlier than what we think it should be probably. And it should be often, it should be frequent. It should be open. And, um, and your dad did that with you. Yes. And I'm really grateful for that. And I feel like both my parents did that with me and I'm grateful for that in a, in a different way. And again, it's not like these women or women, our daughters won't have struggles either with um, masturbation or Mm -hmm. things like that either, that maybe we didn't personally experience Mm -hmm. or something like that. I know that there's, there's a lot of things out there that maybe wasn't my personal story that our kids are going to have to navigate. Yeah. I, I, it's, it still blows my mind sometimes when I'll talk to parents that will, I think still seem, and I probably seem naive with what my kids are exposed to. I probably am on some level. It's like, we've talked to parents. There's like, Oh yeah, we're so grateful. You know, our kids are, you know, 12 and 14 and 10 and they've got zero, like they've had zero interest, zero interest in sex stuff and like never been a problem. And like, it's like, we talk they to them like, see, like sex stuff, like zero interest in girls or zero interest in boys or zero. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, they're just not telling you anything. Like you've got to. <laughs> we both kind of look at each other and like, all right, maybe they aren't talking to you. Yeah. I think this is what we can be confident of in parents as parents. As parents. Okay, here we go. Let's go. Okay. You guys ready for this? Mm-hmm. Is we don't know what our kids know. Yes. A hundred percent of the time. Yes. So we can't say like, I was having a conversation with another parent and they're like, well, the thing is, is I know what my kid's been exposed to because I'm really in tune. It's like, yeah, that's the problem right there. Like any intentional parent feels like they're in tune. And so therefore they feel like they should know. Yes. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we do. And um, it doesn't matter. Like if our kid has been with another kid for five minutes yes. and we haven't seen them, we don't know what has been said, yes. what has been done, what is going on in their little minds based off that one interaction that we did not know about. Yeah. And we control every other aspect of their lives. So I think all that we can be confident in is they, we don't know what they've been exposed to. And so we can just prepare them as best as we can, Yeah. but not preparing them is should not be an option. Yeah, that's right. I agree. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> you're so right. That is probably like a consistent downfall. Cause I know it'd be what I would fall into of it's probably a consistent downfall of, of intentional pairs is this assumption of like, well, no, I'm intentional. Yeah. I know when they're on the screen. I know when they're not on the screen or they're screen free or like, I know exactly who, who they're with at, at church. I know exactly what they're doing at, at their grandparents' house. It's like, well, actually, yes. Like that is the problem. Yeah. And it's like, and guess what? Your parents thought that about you too. And what did you know that they didn't know? (laughs) Because was there anything? Probably. Yes. So anyways, I just think that's something that we can be confident in. Um, And then I will say, okay, so just like, I know I'm going through my little progression that's different than your your thing, but (laughs) this is two different people's perspectives, okay? We are a team on this, Katie, and we are going to work through this. We better be a team. Um, And then I will say, okay, so the next thing, so after me being 12 years old, got the mechanics explained vaguely, and then all I knew is like after that, through my teen years, up until getting engaged was sex is really awesome inside a marriage. There's this total blessing in it. Um, but anything outside of God's design 
is sin and anything that is sin brings death mm-hmm. and ultimately does not satisfy. Mm-hmm. And so that was just something I knew. Everything else fell in that category for me. And it was just kind of this like, I don't go there. Yes. Um, because I knew that I wanted this joyful, fulfilling marriage one day. And it's not saying that those other things didn't mean that I could have could, wouldn't have a joyful, fulfilling marriage one day sexually, but it, an element of death was going to be present. An element of separation of God was going to be present and, um, just, just sin. Mm. And so just like any other sin that separates us from God and, and doesn't lead us towards righteousness, doesn't make us more holy. That wasn't something that I wanted to participate in hmm. just straight up on that level. Hmm. So I would say that's just up until Elisha and I were engaged. That was just my view of sex. I didn't know any more ways of how it was done or how it wasn't done or whatever. I didn't yes. get a whole lot more knowledgeable um, other than like basic intercourse yes. that was explained to me at 12. And then when I was engaged, that's when my mom pulled me aside. And that was the first conversation I ever had with my mom on her own. <laughs> My dad was not present. <laughs> and um, and that was where we talked a lot about specifics. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, she's like, what questions do you have? Like, And at that point, I'd heard about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was kind of like, okay, what about this? What about this? What was your experience with this? Um, is this like, this seems kind of weird. Is that natural? Is that unnatural? Mm-hmm. Um, and was able to go through specifics with her, which was a huge blessing. And then I was also able to talk about um, sexual pleasure and how can you promote that both for yourself and for your husband? Mm-hmm. And how can you work towards that? Um, what are things that can help in that way? And so we went over a lot of stuff in that because I think that's something that maybe people don't talk about either is they talk about, okay, mechanics of sex, but you can go through sex and have it be painful and not very much fun. You know what I mean? Or it can be like this incredible experience. And so talking about how to increase the sexual pleasure in your relationship, even though I had no experience was really helpful for me Mm -hmm. and gave me something to aim for. And as Elisha and I, got married, um, after we got married, it was something to like, a lot of things would pop into my head at different times based on that conversation. Wait, like you had your mom's voice in your head all those times? <laughs> yeah. My mom's voice would just come to my mind. It was super <laughs> romantic. No, but it would be helpful for different situations. Like I didn't have to have experience to kind of store that information away and be able to pull it out postpartum, be able mm-hmm. to pull it out, you know, at at different seasons of life and be like, oh, this is applicable to this season in my life right now. And it was really helpful to be able to talk with her and to continue talking with her. That really opened up a line of communication with my mom that I was able to maintain into marriage and bring her questions that I had and obviously keeping the privacy of our marriage, but then being able to be like, ask, ask her questions that I had or things that came up. And so that was really helpful because I, f- I feel like that established a bond right there where I felt like I had an advocate of someone to go to uh, as a sexual resource Yes. for the rest of my marriage. Yeah. Uh, so that's been a really big blessing. Nice. And then did you, Elisha didn't really get that prepared. What? <laughs> okay. Did you? That's okay. I should have let you that? say that. <laughs> uh, well, I was a little bit more knowledgeable than he was. <laughs> Which is totally uh, fine and leads to a lot of funny conversations that we have now. Yeah. But that's something that you maybe wish you were a little bit more prepared for. Yeah, but it's, it's like, like specifics when it came time to actually where it's going to be a part of your life. <laughs> yeah. But even that it's like, okay, big deal. Like it was a, you know, a few days of education on the honeymoon and then yeah. you get it figured out. Like, yeah, like our our wedding night was not this magical anything. It was anticlimactic. No. And same goes with our second night of marriage and <laughs> with our third day of marriage. You know, but it's like, do we have regrets from that? Absolutely no. not. It's like <laughs> that, yeah. And I mean, when you have the perspective, there's nowhere to go but up from here. Yes. It like takes all the pressure off because you're like, okay, well, we aren't very good at this. And then like, you know, six years in, 
say we're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> well, based we off where we started, fun. you know, we had, we could only go up. So yeah. And then having that perspective of, Oh, in another 10 years, I wonder yes. how much more fun we're going to have and, um, just have that joy and freedom and things that we'll be less embarrassed by or be able to, Yeah. Then know. also being able to, and this is just like with life in general and with marriage, we talk about this all the time, the ebbs and flows of life and marriage and, and mm-hmm. any, any, like you look at any life and, one that ends on a high note. You're like, what a, what an impactful life, an amazing life or an amazing marriage. How impactful there's, there's dips in every one of those things. It's never this clear line going up and that'll happen in our sex life. That'll happen in emotional connectedness. That'll happen, you know, in all, every aspect of life. And it's so unfortunate that people will give up when you're in a dip in your marriage and not experience mm-hmm. the great high that comes from getting out of that dip. And, and then it only gets higher and then it gets higher when you work through it those could hardships. It could be like a trajectory like this, but with the graph of like, yes. yeah, exactly. maybe a Looking really like big the stock market. 10 years yes. or something, right? Yes. Um, and so it's just so good to remember that in every aspect of our marriage, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of like, boy, that we, when you're committed, you get to experience so many more highs than if when you're not committed, you don't view it as a covenant and you bail or you mentally quit or you give up when it's a low and you never get to experience the true satisfaction and joy and that can come. And it might take a long time. It might take way longer than what you want, but it's always so worth it. Anyways, we can probably wrap this thing up. Cameras are starting to die. (laughs) That's the signal. Yeah. Anyways, so obviously our kiddos are really young and, and we don't know like what, like out of all our listeners, there's got to be a huge variety of like who felt prepared, who didn't feel prepared, who like different experiences out there. And, um, we are naive in this area. We've never done this before in 20 years. Check back. Our kids will be on the podcast and tell you (laughs) how we did. Um, but like this area, like any other area, we just want to be surrendered to the Lord's leading, be open to his leading, be open to counsel in this area. And, um, know that we do not have it all figured out and we'll probably have to pivot at different points in time and just us remaining unified and seeking the Lord on, on this topic, like everything else Amen. and raising children. Anyways, that's it for today, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.